The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. A lot of great moments there with our friend Larry Kudlow. We wish him well. And Fast Money does start right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's the crypto canary in the coal mine. Is the Bitcoin sell-off a warning sign for stocks? A top strategist at Wells Fargo is here with a bold call. Plus, the madman sending shares of Square soaring today, but he says it's not... A Bitcoin stock. Do the traders agree? Jim Cramer will join us for a special Fast Money game. But first, we start off with the market sell-off. The Dow sinking more than 300 points at the lows of the day. Look no further than Boeing. That stock down 3%, even as President Trump visited one of its plants in St. Louis and had this to say. Just a few years ago, this plant was in very serious danger of shutting down. And we've got it going again. And I think probably going maybe like it's never gone before, right? Doing better than it's ever done before. But I'm proud to say we kept it open, keeping thousands of Americans employed right here in St. Louis, Missouri. But that didn't save Boeing stock. It's tumbling into correction territory, down more than 11% from its all-time high at the end of February. Just how important is Boeing? In the past year, it has added more than 1,000 points to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So is there more turbulence ahead for Boeing? And as Boeing falls, does the rest of the market have to fall along with it, Guy? I don't think there's more turbulence. I don't think there's going to be this full-blown trade war that everybody's scared of. I'm scared of it as well. I just don't think it's going to come to that. China's going to buy, I think, a trillion dollars worth of aircraft from Boeing over the next 20 years. Is that number going to get tweaked? Maybe. I'm not certain that's going to be the case. So if you don't think this trade war is going to happen, then Boeing at 19 times forward earnings, growing at close to 20% EPS year over year, to me is a very cheap stock. Doesn't mean it can't go a little lower from where we are. The headline risk is significant. But Tim talks about it all the time. Their balance sheet, their backlog, unless you think there's going to be a full-scale trade war, which, again, I don't think is going to happen, I think Boeing is cheap right here. Yeah, by the way, on a day when they apparently set the Guinness Book of World Records with their 10,000th 737 in production, I don't know who would even be close. Uh, but, but again, you have this big move down in the stock, and the stock which is pushing around the Dow. The Dow isn't necessarily the S&P, to be careful. And, and in fact, a lot of times, you know, most Folks will say, I don't even care about the Dow, I care about the S&P. And what they mean by that is the Dow can get pushed around by a couple bellwethers, and I'd rather have a more diversified index. So if you look at Boeing, it basically tells me that, or if I look at the Dow Jones, which is now at the 100-day, and we're talking about technicals for the market, where the S&P has been holding up much better, I think Boeing's got a little more to go. I think Boeing probably gets down to 310, something like that. And I think the backdrop here doesn't change, as Guy said. Right. But remember, this is a stock that's still up 15% year-to-date. It's a stock that I think moves 
let's just put it this way. If you played, the, if you showed the stock of Boeing against the stock of NVIDIA, they looked very similar in terms of the parabolic move. Boeing, I don't think, despite its free cash flow, deserved to make that move. This is a correction that's related to the stock. Is that a lot to try and handicap if there is a trade? If you do not believe there is a trade war, that seems right. like a very difficult thing to assess. It at this is. Point. I do. I mean, I'm sort of in Tim's camp. I think that Boeing, well, you said mathematically it is the market, right? It's mm -hmm. such a strong contributor to the market's performance. But it's also sort of a crowded trade in that it's been very popular. The stock's done tremendously well. We all know that. Even though the fundamentals are great, I just think it's kind of overdone to the upside. Remember, so tariffs, that's one big question mark. Also, we look at M&A, right? And might we not be able to sow Embraer, for example, right. right? If that was somewhat driving Boeing, I don't know how much is in there for that. But So there's these kinds of things that I think make it a little too expensive here. I think it's a little more expensive than you think it is. Maybe I have different numbers. All that having been said, I think it's just a little ahead of itself. I mean, the context is that it is up 12% year yeah. to date, even though it's in correction territory right yeah. now. So why not take chips off the table? Right. It, it does make some sense. And I think we saw some of that in other stocks today as well. But obviously, mm -hmm. the focus is on Boeing. When you look at the earnings growth, and you pointed that part out, and you look forward and you, put, you talk about some of these numbers that they put out, this is a really interesting company because, you know, we all want to put it in the, back, in the exact same package that it was 10 or 15 years ago. It really isn't. This is a growth company with incredible growth behind it right now. And so if that continues, you, was it you that was talking about 20 years down the line or something like that? It's amazing what some of their numbers really are looking at Boeing right now. When you look at the backlog and everything else, at 19 times, I actually think that for what they're doing now, it's cheap. I think the, the upside is far more interesting for me right now than the downside. Should we be worried here that the tariffs, if there is a trade war, it seems mm -hmm. like the areas that would be targeted China's the their biggest buyer, by the way. Let's would, be be, would be a Boeing, would be technology, and they have done gangbusters this year. They're the areas where people have gotten the most returns. No question that Boeing has the most to lose yeah. if this, in fact, is going to happen. And I have Boeing earning close to $16.75, give or take, next year. Obviously, that number could be significantly different if everything that we've potentially could happen and happen. So it goes from being cheap at 20 times to maybe expensive closer to 30 times. Again, I'm not, I'm not certain. I'm it's closer to 30 times. Somewhere in between. With that said, I don't think that, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of roar. There's a lot of anger out there now. But I think it's all going to get walked back, especially with Mr. Kudlow now. Yeah, going does to the Larry House. change the uh, calculus here on well, trade war? Well, I mean, look, Larry has been very consistent on a couple things. And he said it a couple times in the closing bells. That, that you go after your enemies, not go after your friends. Who so doesn't like blanket tariffs, likes where you, you, you fight trade wars that are imbalanced. Very clear on China. Very clear on China, and we've talked about it on the show that uh, if you look at the, the Section 301 investigation, too, there may be a case here where on the, the intellectual property side, China, where they've been a major offender, is, is it's going to get very aggressive for the tech companies. That's where the war, I think, has a better, a better opportunity to, to spiral out of control, frankly, because there's so much interdependence. I don't think they can basically not be aligned and integrated, but I think that's where I think there's bigger issues. So let's sort of extrapolate, because what we saw in today's session was trouble in multinationals and specifically not just Boeing and technology was yesterday, but Staples today. I mean, Staples, obviously, they've got a lot of international sales. Yep. We notice the likes of Coca-Cola, right. Procter & Gamble. Well, the retail sales numbers those, are terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah those numbers were bad. And I think, you know, they, they suddenly start to cascade and people are just reaching. And the only thing they didn't reach for, well, they did reach for today, actually, was utilities, right? I mean, that's the one aspect of the market that actually was pretty strong and actually, I believe, finished in positive territory. But the interesting thing is we're all focused on this. It seems like this news cycle, we go through it so fast. This is today's news, right? I mean, 
a week from now, it will be interesting to know how heavy this still weighs on the market or if we've forgotten it, put it, put it behind us and start looking at the next thing. But there's always something, of course. But this right now, this is the biggest thing in front of the market. It's moved the market a little bit. We were up 400, let's not forget, on Friday. So we've had a couple of days with back-to-back. We've pulled back a little bit. I'm not overly concerned. I think it's a really good point. I mean, economists are going to be out there looking at the drag that could come from trade, um, but they're not gonna, they're not downgrading growth right now. No. And I, if you look at the data we've had over the last couple of days, today's retail sales number was terrible. Um, you had a very difficult industrial production number coming out of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had weaker PMIs coming out of China. Um, and, and, you know, people want to say, oh, wow, what's happened? Well, first of all, we're late cycle in this recovery, so people get concerned that maybe, oh, boy, that was it. In two days, that's not it. And if we didn't have trade wars to be discussing, I think people would be more focused on the economy that was overheating, yet in five days or seven days or a week, we've gone from overheating to, oh, my goodness, growth is done. Well, in the 10-year, right? I think that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, we look at the 10-year at 3%. We were all getting nervous about, oh, it's 3%. Right. Now it's 2.8. Oh, it's only 2.8. I mean, there's, it's interesting how fast we change the mindset of how we look at the market and what's going to affect the market negatively because we've had such a positive move to the upside. But does this speak to, to the feeling about where we are in the market? So we've moved higher on fundamentals. We know the earnings picture. We don't know what the Fed is going to do. We don't know what the trade tariff. I mean, we're focusing now. Maybe this is a healthy thing. On the uh, negatives out there. Well, I, I, this, I'm still afraid of the same thing I've been afraid of, which is a spike in rates, despite what's happened in the last five days. I think there's a lot of signs out there uh, of tightness. And I think a big spike is, to me, the single most realistic risk. Tariffs, I hate that. It is a risk. But I think the spike in rates is more likely. One of the, see, I think if you're really looking for a canary potentially in a coal mine, it comes in the form of Caterpillar, which reported a ridiculous number, I think, late December, early January. Stock had a huge run up. It's traded really poorly this entire year on what, till recently at least, has been a pretty good tape. So you have to wonder, is Caterpillar really, has that been trying to tell you something over the last two months, as opposed to Boeing and the tariff news we're seeing over the last week and a half? I just think, you know, the moves in Caterpillar and John Deere and Boeing, which are big industrial companies, which should do fantastic in a global economy that's reaccelerating, boy, they they caught so much fire that I think that this is a a very normal correction. It's great to see that these companies, by the way, have never been run better. They've never been leaner and meaner. Uh, The other thing that I would throw out there that I think are troubling markets, and so you you throw in tariffs on top of a lot of volatility in Washington, and here's all I will say. This is apolitical. The prospect of losing the triple threat in Washington, which is both houses and the executive branch, meaning one of the houses is gone in the midterm elections, is a major deal for this market because that's been a major deal for getting taxes through and for the sense that this administration can do what they want, which is market friendly. So if you lost control of the House, that's 5 percent to this market right away for me. Uh, And I think that's something that the market is digesting. What do we do today, Pete? You know, it was interesting today. I only found a couple of things that I really liked. Overall, I didn't do a whole lot. I, I added a couple of uh, tech, tech names along the way, but overall, not a lot. And by the way, volatility, 17. If there was a lot of panic in the market right now and everybody was so concerned over the last couple of days and they're, they're nervous about things, why are we at a 17 on the volatility index? So that's telling me a lot as well. Yeah. Guy? I think retail, I know retail obviously had a little bit of pullback yesterday. had a big day uh, yesterday on the back of all those... Uh, upgrades that we saw out of, I think it was Credit Suisse, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think Macy's still works here, down small today. But I think the retailers, there's some, uh, there's some tailwinds there. Karen. Yes, bought some more puts. The markets more, opened up higher, so you had a chance to buy them lower. The volatility index was lower. I, I'm surprised, actually, that it's not higher by the right. end of the day today. I don't know where you think it should be, given the kind of volatility we had. But this is the most long puts I've been in a while. 
Tim. Well, before central banks got involved after the crisis, just a you know, relative point, anecdote, I mean, the VIX averaged 20 for the preceding decade, 20. So, I mean, you know, it's 17 or, or what's going on today with all that's going on out there with the sense that the Fed is in play um, is normal for volatility. And I don't think you have to overreact. Coming up, Square is surging after something Jim Cramer said. And when you hear what it is, you might be buying the stock, too. The madman himself will be here to explain why he's so excited. Plus, the Bitcoin bloodbath may be sending a shockwave to the market. Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo will join us to tell us how bad he thinks it could get. And later, Pete is back from Hawaii. There's one soaring chip stock he says is about to take off. He'll step up to the plate to give us his fast pitch. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from New York City's Times Square. We've got much more right after this. Here's where I come down. I adore Square. It's got fabulous fundamentals, a great long-term growth story. What I don't adore is how the CEO got overly promotional about using Square's platform to trade Bitcoin. And now the stock has all these irrational moves that scare investors away. I think it would be smart for the company to play down this connection. On the other hand, uh, all of this volatility in Square has given you two amazing opportunities to buy the stock in the weakness. So if Jack Dorsey wants to keep flogging the cryptocurrency connection, you might get another chance to buy the stock into unjustified weakness. That was Rowan Jim Cramer last night talking about how Square might be better off without Bitcoin. The stock surging again today, now up 225% in just the past year. Now, the stock did ride the Bitcoin wave to the top in December, then back down to near the lows. But now Square is rallying without Bitcoin. So here's a game that we like to play. Mm, love, love games. games. Love games. Yeah. Is Square sure. a Bitcoin stock or not? Tim, why don't you kick it off? Absolutely not. I mean, these guys are the top grower. Uh, I forget it's J.P. Morgan. It's one of the big houses has them as their top organic grower in payments, period. They are the choice of small, medium-sized business. They're growing in mobile payments like nobody. Um, this is a great call. The valuation is tough, but I am long. I've been long for a while. Love it. Guy, what do you say? Bitcoin is the tail to this story, and it's extraordinarily small tail. Small so tail. I'm with Tim Seymour on this. Not. 65% earnings growth. I mean, valuation can be a factor. At a certain point, it's not one now. New. Pete? I think they're actually the cherry on top of what's going on cherry right now is top. that 60% of the merchants are accepting Bitcoin. So I don't Tail, know that I would cherry. say it's Bitcoin, <laughs> but at the same time, Bitcoin, like I think, it. is, oh, is coming yeah. oh. oh, wow. Karen? I gotta. I agree with every single thing he said. Well, there you go. That's a, a surprise. Tiny bit wagging the dog. I just. I don't think that is so driving that a story. Yeah, not a story. Okay. Not yes. a Bitcoin. Right. Not a Bitcoin stock. So Pete's alone. Pete is alone. Let's settle this whole thing. We've got a Kramer alert. So oh, we want to bring in the man awesome. who sparked this debate in the first place. Booyah! Jim Kramer. So we toss it to you, Jim Kramer. Is Square so a Bitcoin stock you or Thank you not? Well. Not a Bitcoin stock, please. No, it's a payments play. Beautiful. What's the next leg of growth here for Square then? Well, I'll tell you, I think that they are in rapid adoption mode. Yes, if they finally do, may, yes, if, if cryptocurrency somehow can be transferred and not changed within an hour, they will be. But right now, they are just the best way to do business. We use them at Bar San Miguel. I love their caviar product. They give good loans to the uh, people at the register because they have a great handle on what comes in and what comes out. They are the small and medium-sized businesses' best friend. I really like them. All right, Jim. Now, obviously, you're in San Francisco. You've done a slew of really strong shows. You spoke to the CEO of PayPal, so let's take a listen to that. I think most people still think of PayPal as predominantly North American. And that's why I wanted to bring it up, because that's a a 
That is just a mistake. That right? is a mistake. About 65% of our consumers are outside of North America. And that stock is up 4% today. So is PayPal an international play, Jim? Yeah, and look, and I was really trying to get at this notion that somehow, because they're going to lose some eBay business a couple of years from now, this is a sell. It's a buy, and it's a buy because of worldwide adoption. This is a very well-run company. It's got a big short base in it now because they're going to lose some business from eBay. They're going to make it up with a lot of faster-growing business away. Shulman's a genius. That company has just oodles of cash. They can buy back a gigantic amount of stock or grow or buy. All right. We do also want to ask you, Jim, about Larry Kudlow heading to the White House as chief economic advisor, the story that you originally broke on CNBC on Squawk on the Street. What will this mean for the Trump administration and for the markets? Well, I think that what it'll mean for the Trump administration will be someone inside arguing that maybe this will be bad for growth or that'll be bad for the consumer. Outside, there will be someone who can really eloquently state the president's views without any sort of antagonism. That's what Larry does best. We all know Larry that way. He is the, if you had to have someone to be a better spokesman, I don't think you can find him. This, he's been groomed for this job all his life. He will be terrific. And you know him well. I mean, you guys were partners back in the day, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, we were partners for four years before we started Bad Money. I disagree with him almost everything. Wow, I was heavy then. <laughs> I disagree with him with almost everything, but at the end of the show, we fist pump. We liked each other because he is an eloquent man. When he always said, with all due respect, that means you're about to get the roundhouse. But you know what? It felt okay to get. Hey, JC, you know whose birthday it is today? I'm not going to – listen, I know you're out there. You're tired. It's Albert Einstein would have been 139 years old today. You are today's Albert Einstein. And I say this on behalf of all of us here. If there's no mad money, there is no fast money. So I'm for all of us. That's true. Happy Congratulations, birthday. I love you guys. Years. This is your show. I love everything. I love all the new stuff. And, Melissa, thank you so much for giving me a chance to be on the show. It's always great to see you. Happy anniversary, Jim. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jim Cramer. And you won't want to miss Jim's big show in San Francisco. That's tonight to hear the rest of that PayPal interview, plus an interview with the former CFO of Twitter, Anthony Noto, who is now at SoFi. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time. All right. So uh, let's go PayPal. You're, you've been in the payment space. I have been in the payment space, and I missed PayPal, and I missed a lot of Square. I mean, I, 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 PayPal is very interesting to me. I, I also was under the impression they were more... Uh, heavily domestic, right? That, see, that, um, I find that I find that interesting because as an emerging markets guy, PayPal has been well established in Latin America. For example, they partner with guys like Mercado Libre and, and guys that have been very active in the online commerce space because it's asset light, because it's software heavy, because it's over the top. So um, the international story is remarkable. The biggest issue right now with PayPal, which I'm long, is the, is the valuation. So, you know, payments have gone through the roof. Uh, the fact that people are focusing on Bitcoin is the reason they're focusing on PayPal. And it's not because they're related. It's because payments is what it's all about, at least for Bitcoin. Obviously, crypto is a broader concept. Would you rather? Oh, I like this oh. game. Oh. Yeah, you do? <laughs> Square? Oh, what is the game? Square oh. or PayPal? Ah. Uh, for me, I'll take Square, and for the reason I already said, because mm. I disagree with you guys, and I do think that there is something to be said for cryptos involved right now with Square. Same question to you, my friend. Valuation is concerning with PayPal, 30 times forward earnings. You have to be very comfortable with that in their future earnings growth. They'd rather be in Square, not because of the Bitcoin, because like Karen Feynman, to my right. <laughs> That's the cherry on top. <laughs> sure, it's a, no, it's a, t- it's a tail. Little, tiny yeah. little tail. Yeah. Yeah. Cherry on top. Tiny little bitty cherry. It's a bitty cherry. 
Still ahead, Tesla getting crushed today, down nearly 5% on reports of even more production problems at the electric car company. Is this stock just out of gas? Uh-huh. Oh. The traders will weigh in. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Dog killer! That's what some are calling United Airlines after a dog died in an overhead compartment. And we'll explain how it could impact the stock. Plus, the Bitcoin bloodbath continues. And if you think it doesn't matter for the markets, a top Wells Fargo strategist says, think again. He'll be here to explain why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Bitcoin bloodbath continues as the cryptocurrency struggles to find its footing. What is causing this pain? Let's head down to the New York Stock Exchange where Bob Bassani has the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. We've got a lot of problems. It's another rough day for cryptocurrencies with Bitcoin at the lowest level in the last month. Now, Google said it was going to ban cryptocurrency ads. Now, this is a problem because it interrupts the paradigm that cryptocurrencies are becoming more mainstream and more respectable. So Bitcoin dropped in January. Remember that? After Facebook said it would also ban cryptocurrency ads because it was frequently associated, they said, with misleading or deceptive promotional practices. So if Facebook and now Google can say they don't want crypto ads, how legitimate can the whole business be? That's the problem. This follows on a series of very negative headlines for crypto in the last week. Shall I count them? Demands from the SEC that exchanges register with them. A federal court ruling that cryptocurrencies can be regulated by the CFTC as a commodity. And the Mt. Gox trustees selling $400 million in cryptocurrencies in the past few months with a lot more potentially still there. And there's still plenty of believers. That's the good news here. Hedge fund billionaire Alan Howard co-founder of Brevin Howard Asset Management, reportedly made sizable personal investments in cryptocurrencies last year, as did others in his firm. The investments were made separately from his $9.1 billion hedge fund. Now, he joins Mark Cuban and Peter Thiel, who are also cryptocurrency enthusiasts. So still a lot of people out there who are believers. Back to you, Melissa. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. So we've seen Bitcoin and stocks trade together a few times since the highs in December. So will the crypto carnage bleed into the stock market? Let's ask Chris Harvey. He's the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Welcome back, Chris. It's always good to see you. Good to see you, too. Um, Will we see that connection this time around? Uh, We are seeing that connection. But really, I think in the marketplace, there are other issues, other main drivers. So for us, it's the three T's. It's about tariffs. It's about treasuries. It's about Trump. On tariffs, we all know there's fear of a trade war. We don't think it's high, but the market has to price that in. We're starting to see volatility tick up or stay well bid. On treasuries, everyone thought yields would go higher. They're not. They're actually coming down on the back of CPI and retail sales. Why is that bad? Because one of the big underpinnings to the marketplace was banks, was financials. They're starting to pull back. Market's starting to get weak on that. And then Trump, everyone thinks Trump's a wild man. He's unpredictable. We actually think he's highly predictable. He goes out. He says something. He does it. In addition to that, he takes arguments or, or he negotiates. He goes out to the nth degree, and then he starts walking back in. It wasn't that long ago we were talking, some people were talking about nuclear war with North Korea. Now we're talking about sitting down together. So things have changed. But we're not so worried at this juncture about uh, cryptocurrencies. We're really worried about those three T's we just talked about. Would there be a point at which you'd start worrying about the price of Bitcoin being the canary in the coal mine for the markets? Yeah, it's always an issue. It's something. So what we look at it, we think it's risk product. And and we think that in a sell-off, it can add fuel to the fire. And, And so that's something we've looked at in the past. But back in 
December, back in January, when nobody was really paying attention to it and it was much higher, it was a much bigger concern. Now that it's come down, now that the market's sold off, it's less of a concern for us. So it seems to me as if the holder base of cryptocurrencies is changing a little, and I would think more consistent with what the market does, that same holder base would have that experience. But right. in a tariff trade war kind of scenario, you would think that cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin would actually do well. Um, I, I don't know if they would do well in that kind of environment, but to your point, they are becoming a little bit more institutionalized than they were in the past. And, and so what I look at them as is really, it's a very speculative asset class. And so when markets trade down, they should trade down with markets. When markets trade up, they should trade up with, with the market. They should amplify that, that movement. At this point in time, I think they're just more correlated and more of a beta on the market than anything else. Well, you brought up a, a couple months ago. They, they might right. be a leading indicator, at right. least what we saw. That, but that's not my question. Right. With all those three Ts, right. do you change your view on the market? Because your discount rate has to be different. It, it's a, it's, you can make an argument right. that some of the inputs to your models right. um, shouldn't be as cheap as they were. So let's take a look at the 10-year. 10-year went from 2% to 290. It's back down to 280. But credit spreads. Credit spreads have tightened since September. They're somewhat volatile right now. And if you look at liquidity, last week we had over $40 billion in credit issuance taken down by the marketplace. And it acted pretty well. That was a real positive. So I hear what you're saying. But rates, and let's get back to rates. Rates are going higher because growth is going higher. And that's a real positive. And they're doing it in a very orderly fashion. Mm -hmm. Before, everyone was worried about rates going higher. Now that they're going lower, everyone's worried that, wow, yep. lower rates it's are going to bring. Silly. How's that work? Yep. So my, my question would be, when does a weakening dollar go from being a tailwind to the market to a headwind? Are we, are we close? Uh, um, I don't think it's a level. It's an action. If the, if the dollar falls out of bed, that's a problem. You go back to 87. When the dollar fell out of bed, that was a problem. Again, if there's a decoupling, I think it's an issue. If it continues to walk down, I think we're okay for now. So in this sort of envir environment where the markets are a little bit more volatile, where there's a little bit more uncertainty, and right. I know you say that you think that Trump is predictable. A lot of other people don't think that he is predictable. Fair enough. Um, are you concerned about the sectors and the stocks that led us higher in the market, the ones that did the best year to date, right. as sort of the ATM, the source of funds, right. um, when you're getting nervous about the markets? Um, not really getting nervous about the marketplace. So one of the things that we're dealing with is we're out of earnings season. And when you're out of earnings season, you start to have the vagaries of macro headlines. We'll be back in earnings season in another four weeks, and everyone will say, wow, look at earnings, look at fundamentals, they're so good, and things will change very, very quickly. With regard to leadership, we're still seeing technology lead. One of the things we did say is last week we thought utilities were overdone, and we thought for a trade that utilities could work. But that's really for a trade. And we're not seeing a change in leadership with technology. The one thing that is becoming a little bit of a worry is how financials and banks are acting as rates go lower. Yeah. Chris, good to see you. Thank you. Thank Chris you. Harvey. Wells Fargo, uh, you worried about financials? No, I'm not. In fact, I think this is definitely a pullback to buy. Uh, you know, if, if you think about the dynamics that are driving financials and people talk about the yield curve, we talk about the yield curve, but the reality is you're going to get three Fed hikes this year and you're going to get three to four next year and you could get north of that if the economy demands it. Um, financials, especially those that are pegged to LIBOR, are making an enormous amount of money here. They have enormous leverage to the U.S. economy uh, and the consumer that's getting cut. All these checks, every company with the, that, that Trump spoke to today talked about they're giving back to their people by banks. Yeah. You worried about uh, financials? No, I'm, I'm long financials. As long as I've been, I agree with what Tim's saying. I, as I said, I am more fearful of rates going up and like the hedge that financials would give me. On. And I'm not fearful of financials either because of the fact they make money. They can, they'll make more money at certain levels, obviously, 
but they make money either way. And, they, and they've been showing us that for the last couple of years. And I think the biggest thing that my takeaways from what Chris had to say was he talked about sentiment. He talked about Trump, a lot of those different things and rotation. And we see that rotation all the time. And when the news cycle is very slow, we hang on every word of everything else in the macro. And that's where we are. We you find ourselves right now. Slow? Well, I think I think, I think from the stand, from the standpoint of okay, earnings like he was saying, now you've got a four Markets weeks, so you've news. got to wait. Yeah. So that's although we got a Fed yes. meeting next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think financials is very slowly they're getting revalued in terms of price to book. I think one point eight times price to book is the right valuation in this environment. A lot of these banks still have room to go. For example, Goldman Sachs traded with a with a book value of about one hundred and eighty one dollars a share. You put a 1.8 multiplier on that, and you got a stock that's a little north of $300. Again, not going there tomorrow, but that's where I think they're all headed. All right, still ahead. Some are calling it Puppygate. Oh. Puppygate. United's missteps killing a passenger's dog. Another black eye for the company just as the stock has fully recovered from the drama in the skies last year. And it appears the airline is making the same mistake again. We'll explain what this means uh -oh. to shareholders. Plus, Pete Najarian is back from Hawaii. Aloha. Yeah, we don't need that cutout. He's taking no prisoners. He's got one stock he says is a home run. He'll step up to the plate to tell us what that is. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. More than one year ago, Pete stepped up to pitch Salesforce. I think this stock is heading back towards $95 a share and eventually towards $100 a share. I think they're working in the right direction. Valuation is going to scare a lot of people. I think the growth is the thing you have to focus on right now. Well, Pete was right. Shares have soared past $100. The stock is up 60% since the call. What do you do now, Pete? Um, I'm not in it any longer. I, I still love the company. I love everything they Did do. They still like have the a growth. week after that pitch? No. <laughs> I was lucky enough to ride along with this thing for quite a while, uh -huh. but I think it was as it got towards 100, I sort of felt like, you know what, I set parameters for myself. I have a, my own discipline. I usually try to get out at the right time. So, you know, banks, I have certain numbers, certain <clears> levels. <throat> Every stock has a certain number. All right. Well, since you hit it out of the park with Salesforce, why don't you give us what another fast pitch? All right. So today, got? we've got ourselves a something a little bit interesting here, guys. We're looking at Intel. Now, you're going to be pushing back a little bit because you're going to say, hey, stock has had an absolutely incredible run. It's trading right near the 52-week highs. You're right on all of that. But that doesn't mean there's a lot more room left to the upside. Now, I've got my usual bullet, bullet points right here. Management. What I like about this management team, these guys have been with the company since the early 80s. What I like about that is they understand all aspects of the company. As a matter of fact, the present CEO was the CEO for a while. Did a great job, I think. And they are very aggressive. I'm going to get to that in one second. Fundamentally, we're talking about a P.E. level of 14 or 15, great cash flows. You've got a great dividend yield, and they're always going to be adding that. Oh, and by the way, they buy back a lot of their shares as well. Strong growth plan. The data center area for these guys is absolutely off the charts growth. Now, people look at Intel and they think, oh, it's just dead money. Why would I want to be there? There was a piece out today where one of the analysts actually called this stock the Micron of 2018. I do not disagree. I think this is a company, but the growth that they've got presently and what they're able to do within all of the aggressive moves by management, buying Altera, buying Mobileye, and some of the other buys over the years, but those are the multi-billion dollar buys most recently, this company is moving in the right direction, and I think that growth can continue and grow even faster to the upside, which I think keeps that P.E. level low and tolerable for this stock to go a heck of a lot higher from here.
Hey, Pete, great yeah. job. First of all, knocking that small guy by the board on the preview there. That guy looked like he didn't belong there. <laughs> he needed to go. Great job on Salesforce. <laughs> hey, great job on Intel. I'm long the name, but I worry about M&A. One, is there an M&A premium in semis right now? And two, is Intel going to make a bad, big acquisition like was rumored last week? You know, um, I don't think they're going to make that massive acquisition. I would hope not, Tim. I think this is a very disciplined uh, management group. They really research and how much they're willing to spend and how much they, where they need to grow. I think they've already done that. I think they will do more acquisitions. The multi-billion dollar acquisitions, I don't see that in the future for them. Karen? Yes, Pete. I like the name also. I'm long it. Uh, when you talk about your discipline, yeah. apply that to this. Where would you look to exit? Um, I already have a discipline on this one. This one I'm actually searching for somewhere close to a little bit over 60, something north of 60. I own the stock, Karen. I've owned it for a couple of years. I'm actually looking at options that I hold as well. I'm short when I get up above 60, some of those options. I'd buy those back. I'd get out of my positions, and I'd clean up everything. All right, time to vote. No more questions. You're buying Pete, uh, Pete's pitch on Intel. Guy. I like to make rhymes when I do this, like Charles Nelson Riley. I say Intel is swell, 13 times forward earnings, compelling uh, argument by Pedro. You, you remind me of Paul Lynn, actually. I like Paul Lynn. The center square. Oh, oh, oh. Center square. <laughs> Karen. Yes, I'm a woman of few words. Bye. I like it. That last quarter was outstanding, Unreal. and you got that very brief chance to buy it in the low 40s. I like it. Tim? I love it. Good job, Pete. Intel nice. along the stock, oh, I think, with the Pete. doing data that center. Yes. That's Pete. No, I mean, if you can get a, I mean, we got the, the little side pony coming out of there. It's all there. It's all there. Nice job, Pete. <laughs> Home Thanks. run. Clean sweep, Pete. <laughs> cool. But for you out there, did Pete's pitch have you yelling giddy up? You can head to Twitter right now, cast your vote at CNBC Fast Money if you're buying or selling the stock. We'll reveal the results at the end of the show. Plus, Tesla taking on the chin today as reports of more production problems surface. Are there just too many roadblocks for the electric car maker? The traders will weigh in next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another day, another production problem for Tesla. A new report from CNBC.com has cast an even bigger shadow over the company's Model 3 production goals. Former and current Tesla employees revealing that the automaker has been manufacturing a high volume of flawed parts needing rework and repairs, putting the company under pressure as it tries to meet production numbers. Tesla has also come out and denied right now that it's a malfunction remanufacturing teams also reworked the cars, claiming that employees might actually be conflating rework versus remanufacturing. The stock, which is already down 3% today when the report came out, moved even lower, closing down almost 5%. So does this signal more pain ahead for Tesla? This is on top of reports, by the way, that the uh, treasurer and the VP of finance left. And that, of course, follows the chief accounting, chief accounting guy officer. leaving also. So there are a lot of things sort of piling up on this. So the chief accounting officer left, I think it was on Friday after we finished with the show. The stock, I think, was trading around 325, traded up to 345. Here we are right back now. Obviously, the hits keep coming, and they're not good. Again, I would suggest it's not about production. We've had this conversation 100 times. You either believe in a story or you don't. I do. I think the stock will trade higher from here in the weeks to come. And you can believe in the story even with this perceived exodus of talent? Because it's not just these two guys, right? The I mean, talent the of that company before. is one person. If he leaves, then Elon. I get concerned. There's well, no, risk. I'm sure they're very capable well, people if you're, if you're so bold up on 
ultimately, these guys should be getting to a place in their production cycle, certainly where they are in their business life and the development of their core products. And, and you should be staying for the ride here as you start to make the, the, the car for the masses. But, you know, you also have this, this concern that there's another battery manufacturer out there that could be competition. You had Elon Musk himself when we were talking about SpaceX going to Mars and commuting back and forth in our lifetime, um, which probably will happen. But, but he also made it, he said, look, this is kind of tough. Getting deliveries is kind of tough. He was kind of quoted that day saying that we've had a little bit of a setback on Model 3 production. So, you know, this is what the market has been so used to. And if you look at the stock, it's been absolutely sideways for almost a year now. So it's okay to miss the targets because well, that's just what we're used to at this point. I mean, it's true. They've sort of, you know, they've gotten us used to that for sure. But why isn't, a, isn't it a production story at some point? It can't just be the promise of big production down the road forever. I mean, the I big mean, production has to happen. Know. Right. But I don't know. Maybe it can. Well, so, the production is something we've talked about so many times on the desk. And I know we've gone back and forth, all of us, on this thing. Is, is it a car company? Is it a technology company? Well, if it's a car company, these are terrible things that we're hearing about. The, the flaws that we're talking about in terms of the parts and all that, awful. So production would be obviously poor. But, like you just mentioned, stock's three and a quarter. Yeah, it popped to 350, it's right back to three and a quarter. Am I overly nervous? Well, if you're focused on it as a car company, you should be. If you're focused on it as something else, as you, you are. shouldn't be. As right. you are. Yes. All right. Well, Tesla can't seem to catch a break because options traders think the automaker's troubles are far uh -oh. from over. Mike Coe is breaking down the action from Florida. Hi, Mike. Hi, uh, there. Yeah, so by about 3 o'clock this afternoon, we'd already seen well above average daily put volume. It had out-traded calls by about 1.5 to 1, traded even more into the close. And the most active puts at that point were the April 250s. So those expire only one month away, and those were trading for about a buck and a quarter, over 8,500 of them ultimately traded. And, of course, those were making bearish bets that it could fall below that $250 strike price by the premium paid, or below 248.75 by uh, only a month from now, and that would be a drop of over 20%. And I think to answer the earlier question, it is definitely priced like a technology company since its enterprise value is significantly higher than either General Motors or Ford. And even if they met every single production target that they've talked about, those aren't the kinds of valuations you're talking about because we're talking about companies that have produced 7 and 10 million cars respectively in a year. So it's definitely a technology stock, and if, they, if the narrative falls apart, those puts might actually come into play. Pete, I know you probably saw that action. Mm -hmm. Did that make you think twice it about makes how you, you felt? Absolutely it does. But I think this is less connected, actually, to anything in terms of nervousness about production. To Mike's point, he's calling it now a technology company. Well, if we're calling it a technology company and we're losing some of our top people in the management system, that's a little bit of a problem, and I, it does make me a little bit more nervous all the time. All right. Thanks, Mike. Babe, Mel, where can we learn more about trades like mm, that? I'm not sure. You know, Options Action, full oh, show where? Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Glad you asked. Yeah, there you are. Still ahead, trouble on the tarmac for United Airlines as a dead dog. And then a lost dog on its planes are dominating the headlines. What went wrong? What does this mean for the stock? We'll explain. Plus, there's still time to vote. Did Pete's pitch for Intel have you buying the stock? Head to Twitter Ooh, right now and vote at CNBC Fast win. Money. If you're buying or selling the time stock, it might be time of our life night. We'll reveal the results <laughs> at the end of the show. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. A new scandal in the skies at United Airlines, putting the airline back in crisis mode. Let's get to Kay Rogers back at headquarters with the latest. Hi, Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. United is under fire after a dog died on a flight from Houston to New York. The family says the pet was in a carrier designed to be placed under the seat in front of you on the plane.
we sat down, we were trying to put him under because yeah. he fits. And then the flight attendants came and she's like, you can't put him there because he'll block the path. And then she says, you have to put him where the baggage goes. And she just, she's like, oh, I'll help you. And then she helped my mom put him up there and she just closed it like it was a bag. Now, the family says they told the flight attendant about their pet. Other passengers report hearing the dog barking in the overhead bin, but by the time the plane landed, the dog was dead. United accepted full responsibility, refunded the cost of tickets, and the fee paid for the dog to travel. The company released a new statement this afternoon saying, quote, we have spoken to the family, our crew, and a number of passengers who were seated nearby. We have learned the customer did tell the flight attendant that there was a dog in the carrier. However, our flight attendant did not hear or understand her and did not knowingly place the dog in the overhead bin. As we stated, we take full responsibility and are deeply sorry for this tragic accident. We remain in contact with the family to express our condolences and offer support. They also added they'd be issuing bright colored bag tags to customers who are traveling with pets by April so that this does not happen again. Other high profile incidents for United have put them in a negative spotlight recently dragging a Kentucky doctor of course off an overbooked plane and they also said they're currently investing after flying a Kansas family's dog to Japan instead of Kansas City, Missouri. Back over to you, Melissa. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, well, coincidentally, shares of United now trading near the same level it did back in April when the first scandal erupted. You may remember that viral video of the man being forcefully dragged off a United flight. How can you forget that? So can the airline get its act together, or is there more pain ahead for the stock? Well, I'd, I'd like to say I'm going to boycott United and there's more pain ahead for the stock. And how do you get Japan mixed up with Kansas City? And what was the flight attendant thinking when he or she lifted the bag and felt some all those things? But then you say to yourself, I mean, this is going to be a Harvard case study on crisis management, what not to do. Mm -hmm. But there's nowhere else to get to point A to point B. There's so much consolidation in the space that you're forced to ride the airline. So at seven and a half times forward earnings, despite these headlines, this, this company will persevere. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's just my view. Well, I'm long airlines, but no longer this one because really it was October. I just thought their guidance was terrible. Mm -hmm. I hated the strategy. I hated the presentation of the strategy and rotated out into more Delta and American. At the end of the day, I agree with Guy. I don't think this particular incident matters. It sounds terrible, I know, but customers will come back. They did. That stock went on to a new high after that first incident. I think incident the problem is time. that the response has been terrible in every single incident. And not only the Was response. Was this response bad? Terrible. Terrible. They refunded I mean, the well, cost of the ticket and the fees for the, the dog to I mean, travel, and that's it. The dog's dead. I mean, they, they basically <laughs> said, we, we, right. we were at fault here. What more can we say? We're going to do everything we can. Which means we're in negotiation the, for a settlement. Yeah, they're negotiating something it's, there. And then, then they, they say, well, but we'll get back in touch with these I guys. Mean, I mean, it's an awful accident, but, I mean, ultimately, what more can they do? And, and if you, you talk oh, about Oh, I think you could do something much more. You, you need to step out and say, you know what? Here's a financial. We know that's not everything. But we're going to do everything we I don't think that's the. So oh, maybe, that, but, but let's get back to the stock. As it shouldn't an be coming. It should be now. That's I mean, that's does this the my make you sell? If you had United, would you sell because of this? My biggest problem with no. United right now is this: uh, they, they they have everything you talked about. They traded a multiple. They do all the, they, because of consolidation. But I will say this: I think that if somebody has a choice now, 
If you're going from here to Minnesota and you have Delta United and American, you're looking at Delta and American. You're going wherever the route is and wherever the cheapest ticket is. Come on, let's be clear. And the reason United sold off 20% from January 23rd over the course of 10 days, it went into correction mode when they pointed out that for the next two years, their available seat miles are going to go 4 to 6%, so growing capacity. That's the issue for the airlines. That's why they're trading stocks. That's why the stocks also back up almost 15% from that point. I'm long United. I'm long Delta. I hate what happened, but I bet it happens again because that's, that's the reality. So you feel okay about Oscar Munoz? You know what? He's, he's a liability for the company in terms of their valuation. So if he were but, out, you think the stock would trade higher? I, I think if it, oh. if, it was a, if it was a nice transition where people said we looked uh, at the series the of events, but if there was an event that forced him out, no. It would be a, it would I be would love to hear from stock. Warren Buffett and have him make a, an opinion and, and what he thinks is going on with the management right now and how they've addressed all of this. All right. Up next, your last chance to vote for Pete's final pitch on Intel. You buying, you selling. The results are next. The last 25 years of my life has been tied up with CNBC, which changed my life, changed my profession, um, and has been a family to me. And however this thing works out, it will be God's will. Um, if there's an opportunity when my service is complete, uh, I hope very much to come back and help CNBC. It, it is my family, and it has changed my life. And it's uh, CNBC also, years back, gave me a second chance. Well, it's official. Larry Kudlow, beloved senior contributor here at CNBC, is going to Washington to take on a new role as the director of the National Economic Council. It's been an honor to work with Larry. We wish him the best of luck in his new position. Um, the only thing that's bad is that we won't see Larry as much around at CNBC. But otherwise, a, a great American is, is going to the White House. Congratulations, Larry. Um, well switching deserved. gears here. You know Pete just got back from Hawaii. You know what he was doing there? He was having the time of his life. Pete's pitch for Intel was a success. On, it is up nearly a percent in the half hours, here. by the way. <laughs> Final trade here, Pete. IBM, giddy up. Buy the weakness in the banks, JP Morgan. Uh, buy, buy the weakness in lows. I think it's overdone. You see that get up he had in that Hawaiian thing? Hey, healthcare, the hospitals, Mel. Giddy up. I'm Melissa Lee. <laughs> see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.